Welcome to GrowthCap's Growth Investor Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Angela Ceresny, the CEO of Climb, which is an innovative student lending platform that makes career creation and transformation more accessible, affordable, and accountable. The company is driven by a mission to empower individuals to unlock their career potential, no matter what their credit profile is. Angela first joined Climb as the Chief Operating Officer in 2016 and quickly helped shape the operations, culture, and future of Climb, earning her the role of CEO in 2018. Prior to Climb, she co-founded and was COO and CFO of Orchard Platform, a provider of software and data products offered to institutional investors to purchase loans from marketplace lenders. Orchard was acquired by Cabbage. Earlier in her career, Angela spent nine years running credit risk analytics teams at American Express and Citibank. We hope you enjoy the show. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a delight to chat with you today. I'd like to start off in actually a unique place in that you were able to jump from a career in corporate and more so in the financial services space and banking, make the leap into becoming a successful fintech entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of that decision while you were working for a large bank and making the decision to leave? Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I spent the first eight years of my career working in large banking institutions between American Express and Citibank. And the decision to leave and do something more entrepreneurial, but also more risky in terms of sort of like day-to-day paycheck perspective, I think was driven by two things. So one was, I think more practically, despite having worked eight years between those two companies, I was still relatively junior and still had you know a lot of room to grow to become like a big executive in those organizations and so it was clear to me at that point that while those jobs are great and really great for a lot of people that probably wasn't where i wanted to be eventually but i knew that if i stuck around and worked for 15 20 25 years in a large organization it would be much harder to leave because now your career is really kind of intrinsically aligned to that organization or organizations like it and so i would say part of it was having just sort of the intention and the willpower <laughs> i don't know what the word is but to say, okay, I know that 20 years from now, I probably don't want to be here. And so I should leave now before I've been here for so long that leaving is harder. So that was one thing. And then the other thing was, I was at both of those institutions during the last financial crisis, the one that sort of started 2007, 2008 and lasted for a number of years. And I saw firsthand how difficult it was for your average American, your average small business owner to get the products they needed from the larger institutions. We really were set up to provide credit and credit products to the businesses and people who already had established that. And that to me felt like a really interesting problem to solve, but one that maybe would be more fascinating and potentially even easier to solve outside of the large institutions. And so after leaving City in 2012, every company that I've either founded or been a part of has been oriented towards expanding credit in some way to people who maybe have been left out of the traditional system. 
Well, you kind of hit the jackpot in that the first startup that you found or joined happens to be very successful. And the other part about hitting the jackpot is you're able to use your skill set specifically. When you think about these large banks, you become so siloed so quickly with your role. How did it happen? How did you end up connecting with Orchard or founding Orchard? Yeah. So the way I founded Orchard was by being available to go do something new. So I had already left my job at Citibank and was kind of looking for my next thing. And I met Matt Burton, who ended up being my co-founder at Orchard along with some other people. But I met him and he had become really interested in the sort of online lending ecosystem because he had discovered Lending Club and was investing some of his own money. And I similarly had been interested in that ecosystem more from a credit I was a credit professional. So I was interested in the fact that, oh, I could take some money and invest in a loan in somebody else. It's like, that's so interesting. I do that in my day job at City. I could do that on the side through these platforms. And so when we met, and he was a technology entrepreneur, he had been a part of several companies that had exited to Google and Facebook and sort of understood how entrepreneurship worked, how the venture capital markets worked, and how, you know, what it means to just be like, okay, today we're going to start a company. Having come from the big from the big banks, that was not a muscle I'd yet to develop. And yeah, I was lucky because the first eight years of my career, I was focused on developing a skill set and understanding the credit markets, understanding credit underwriting and consumer and small business lending. And that, that ended up being a skill set that was really valuable to Orchard and then now to Climb where I am currently. So the stars did align a bit. Yeah, and I look forward to talking more and digging in on Climb before we hit that. The other interesting part of your background is that you were a water polo player and team sports is, I feel like, so important growing up and developing as a person. And when I first entered years ago, investment banking, I always scratched my head and wondered why there's so many athletes that go into or get selected into banking and investment banking in particular, what do you think it is that team sports has helped you do both in the traditional corporate setting as well as as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of stuff. Like one is just the grit, like get up every day and like water polo for sure, but actually being a swimmer is like the ultimate grit because you morning practice 4.30 in the morning, you get up, you hit that pool. It doesn't matter if you're having a good day or bad day, but you're in the pool. And I think what I learned from that, and this was in water polo, but I think this was more seriously felt in swimming because it's such an individual sport, is that like you're going to have good days and bad days. But the only way that you're going to get more good days than bad days is if you get in the pool on bad days. If you decide that the only days that you're willing to give it is the days where everything goes your way, then at a certain point, you're on the bench all the time. And so... That's the case in running a business. When in building a career, like you're just going to have days where stuff doesn't go your way and you got to just brush it off, put a smile on your face and like get back in it the next day. So I think that's one thing. And then the other on the teamwork side, and this is the case in both individual sports like swimming, but also I think more importantly in, in a team sport like water polo, you can't do it all yourself. But I think the hardest part about team sports is how you can keep it together when things are down. And I have a real clear memory of my junior year in high school being on the water polo team. It was like the state championship. And 
one of our players ended up not being able to play for some reason. We weren't doing well. And I got really, really upset. And I got mad at the team. And I was upset and I acted out. And it was something that later looking back, I was like realized wasn't the right behavior. And like since then, I've looked back on that moment a lot of times in my life and in my career and have made like many times a conscious effort. Like don't do the thing you did in that game, right? You're on the same team as everyone. Stay positive. Everyone's got to get along, right? Like if you don't have that and you start infighting and getting upset with each other, then you have now a 0% chance of coming back. And I think that, yeah, I mean, having those moments when you're young and still figuring things out, like that's the time to have those moments so that then when you're older and doing stuff that might be even more consequential, running a business, you can look back on those, remember kind of the lessons that you've learned and do things the right way. And how do you balance, because I saw one of your other interviews and, and I know you're a mother and congratulations on being able to balance everything, but how do you do it? How do you make sure kind of you have enough time and energy and focus to do kind of both roles well as a mother and as a CEO? I think the first thing is that you realize that it's going to be a trade-off. This idea of being able to do it all perfectly is not reality. And so first accepting that if you're going to be really focused on your career and be in a career that expects a lot out of you time and energy wise, that means you have less time and energy for your kids and that you have to be comfortable with that decision. Your kids have to understand why you're, I mean, at a certain age, you know, when they're born, they don't know what's going on, but at a certain age, I have an 11 year old daughter, right? And like, I have to explain to her why sometimes I can't be at the X, Y, and Z thing right? Explain to my eight-year-old daughter why I can't be at the event maybe she wants me at. But then also feeling comfortable to say no at work and say, I know that I got invited. Example, there was a massive conference, a very important conference that most people in our industry was at, were attending in August. It was out in San Diego. I live in New York. And for me to go to this conference would mean that I would not be home on the day that my two children came back from being three weeks of sleepaway camp. And so I didn't go. You know, mm-hmm. I just didn't go. And mm-hmm. that's a trade-off. There was no world where I was going to explain to my kids that I wasn't there to give them a hug when they were coming back from three weeks away at camp for the first time, right? Right. That wasn't on the table. And the company's fine as a result of that. But like in the moment, it was a trade-off I had to make. And so you just have to know that you're going to have to do those things and be comfortable with it. Well, you're building and, and driving a company that serves a very important purpose. And that is to help people become employed and stay employed. And so this kind of element of job creation or job enablement, I think there's no better use of time than kind of serving the greater good. So let's talk about Climb Credit. How did it start? And tell us about the mission. Yeah. So at its core, Climb's sort of mission and objective is to help enable people to find the careers that make sense for them. And we have two things existing in our society right now that don't make a lot of sense. We have a very, very expensive higher education system that's putting a lot of people in debt without a clear return on investment. But we also have a big skills gap. And there are certain career tracks where we just don't have enough people, whether that's in technology jobs, trade jobs, healthcare jobs. And so it's kind of a confounding issue that those two things both exist. And so CLIMB sets out and we look to be part of the solution to that. We look 
to find the programs that are truly helping to fill those skills gaps, get people into jobs where we need people with skills and where the people that have those skills can actually earn a living wage and then help those programs that are delivering those returns to have a more efficient and effective payment and financing infrastructure that vocational schools and career training programs have been really left behind as it relates to how we think about financing higher education. Most of the time when you talk to either student lenders or other participants in the student financing ecosystem, they think about someone putting on a backpack and going to their first year of undergrad at NYU or, you know, Northwestern. But in reality, most people who are looking to higher education are actually just looking for skills so that they can go get a job. And those programs tend to be cheaper. They tend not to attract people who are just finishing high school, but tend to be for adult learners. And they tend to not need some of the financial services that exist in the traditional system. And so we've looked to build the system that can work for these programs and help that set of learners. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So could this be folks that are maybe have been unemployed out of the workforce for some time and they realize we need to increase our household income, I need to get a job. So they know if they go to one of the schools that's kind of qualified by CLIMB that they have a very high probability of getting a job and being able to support their family, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit about the type of person that goes into the program? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I would say about three quarters of the students who attend our programs are people who are switching careers. Mm -hmm. So they either are unemployed, they're employed, but they're not making as much money as they would like, or they are employed, but they're in a career track that's not doing it for them anymore. So that's like the big kind of chunk of students who we end up providing financial services to and to attend the programs. The other kind of segment of students who we support are those who are already in a career and they're just getting more training or certifications to earn more money in that career. So one example would be a teacher. If you're a working teacher and you go get a specialization or a master's, those programs can earn you more money in many school districts around the country. So that's also kind of a segment we work with. The average age for a student who's attending one of our programs is usually like late 20s, early 30s. So definitely like adult learners. They're often making around $30,000 a year when they get into the program. And the median kind of end salary, the salary that people get right when they graduate and start in the new careers that they're in is in the mid to high $50,000 a year range. And so that is, I think, what motivates everyone at CLIMB every day right, to get up and jump in that cold pool and do the hard work is that we're really helping people with a really important economic jump, right? Mm -hmm. The difference between making $30,000 a year and making $55,000, a year is really, really big. And the fact that we're working with programs that are consistently able to do that, where the cost of that program is relatively small, both in time and money, is really exciting and important. And what are the most popular types of professions that people want to go into? So technology is always huge, right? As you know, technology is sort of the underpinning of almost any organization at this point. Every company has to hire developers and QA analysts and UX designers. And so we have a lot of people that we work with who are looking to get into into that industry or into that field. I would say after that is healthcare. There's just so many healthcare jobs out there. 
And most of the healthcare jobs are not being an MD or even being a nurse necessarily. There's a lot of jobs that require some, but not a ton of training that can get someone sort of the foot in the door into the healthcare system, then confirm that that's the type of work that they want to do. And then there's some pretty clear career paths that people can take once they're in the door to earn more money and have more earning potential in whatever healthcare field that they're in. And then after that is, you know, core trades. There's a lot of need for truck drivers. We've done a lot of case studies with our truck driving schools and have seen amazing anecdotes from students who their grandpa and their dad were truck drivers and now they're ready to hit the road. So, and there's more and more packages being delivered every day as you, mm-hmm. you know, walk down the streets of New York, like every street is just covered in, in trucks. So there's a lot of opportunity there for people where that makes sense for them. So I'd say those are three big ones, but there's many more. Well, given the mission of Climb and the seemingly huge potential and in big market, big need that you're addressing, you know, it would seem that investors would really, you know, want to be part of this company. So tell us about kind of the capital you've kind of brought in to date and who those folks are and, you know, where you're headed. Is this kind of a moment where you're really going to pour more kind of gas on the fire and really accelerate quickly? Yeah. So we have investors on both sides of the business. So we have what we call our equity investors, and those are the funds that have invested in the kind of operations of the business and and owning a chunk of the operating business. And then we have debt investors who provide us the capital that we then turn around and, and lend out to students through the lending products that we have on our platform. And I would say on both sides, one thread that remains true amongst all of them is that every investor we have is bought into the mission of our business mm-hmm. and is bought into the fact that you can build a big and important company while also doing the right thing. And that often it's actually not a trade-off. So we believe that because we only work with programs that have a proven track record of delivering results to their students, over the long run, that will make us a bigger and more sustainable business because we aren't chasing short-term growth through working with programs that might not get outcomes for their students, but where we could make some money quickly. Our focus is to really work with the programs that are doing the right thing, help them grow. We then grow in turn. And then over the long run, we have a portfolio of financial products that make sense, that can be priced really well, and that can really help people get through the right programs with the right amount of money. So that's a thread that I think exists beyond on both sides of the equation, both the debt and equity side. Of course, on the equity side, they get all the upside of us building a big business. And that's what we're intending to do. We're a high growth business. We focus on doing the right thing, but we're lucky that we're doing so in a market that's growing. And the vocational school sort of certification program, stackable credentials, this market is one that has been a really important part of our higher education landscape for a long time but has become even more important with COVID as people are starting to really question whether and how it makes sense to spend their educational dollars and time. And I can imagine someone with your deep credit background that the stats look pretty good on the portfolio, you know, related to defaults or just payment rates in general. Yep. And we manage that really could, well. <laughs> yeah. It's a compelling mission and it's a compelling business at the same time. So 
do you think there's going to be that you'll be able to kind of maintain that quality for the long term and as your business expands and goes perhaps into other products? Yeah. I mean, I think I don't see any reason that we need to compromise on that. We've already expanded into other products. We have buy now, pay later products. We have payments products. We have software products that we offer to our schools. And all of those just help us be better at managing the credit risk on the loan products. Because the more data we have and the more information we have with these schools, the more closely we work with them, the more insight we have into how they'll perform. And in a lot of cases, that can mean offering better rates, right? Mm -hmm. Which then helps us capture more of the market, but it also can help us manage any downside situation. And then we've just been in the market for a long time. We made our first loan in 2014. And as a credit person, the most important thing that you can have if you're looking to underwrite a population is data. The past doesn't always predict the future, but it's usually better than nothing. So I think we have that sort of leg up, which has enabled us to kind of continue to be best in class in terms of pretty much every aspect of our business. Right. And was it the case that prior to Climb that these folks would fund their education on a credit card? What were they using? Yeah. So it would be on a credit card. Sometimes the schools had a payment plan that they would run on their own books, but there weren't really a lot of options, to be honest. And so I think that it has a negative sort of cycle of then there's not a lot of options. So then people don't attend. And so then Mm -hmm. people don't get the skills and then they don't have the jobs and then we don't have the skills gap filled. So we really see ourselves at the end of the day as part of a solution to a more optimized workforce in this country because we're helping to fill that very important gap of people know that they want this skill. They know where they want to get that skill from. They just need to have the right financial products to be able to access it. Mm-hmm. I and Clock, we're running up on time, but I'd like to ask two questions to close with. One is, can you tell us who you think is a great leader and who has the types of attributes and characteristics that you try to emulate? Yeah. So I'd have two answers for that. One is a woman who's an investor in Climb, Jackie Novogratz. She runs Acumen America. Well, the Acumen Fund and Acumen America is an investor in Climb. I've had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times. And what I really admire about her is just how clear-eyed she is about the importance of mission and the importance of doing the right thing. That can be really hard when you're running an organization. There can be a lot of kind of factors that pull you into a bunch of different directions. And I've just always been... I've really admired how she's known what she wants to do and has been able to stay true to that. And then the CEO that I admire, this might be kind of a funny answer, but my husband is also a CEO. So we have a lot of fun conversations. And he has a lot of sort of traits that I admire, in particular, having a lot of confidence in every decision he makes. That's something that I try and kind of seep off of him when we have our dinner table conversations is coming into work and really feeling like... Because I know what the answer is, but being able to project that confidence and make sure to bring the team along. He's really great at that. And so I've learned a lot from him. That's great. Having a uh, 24-7 almost uh, yeah. you know, sounding board. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I have the things I help him with, but we won't talk right. about it. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, and this is a little bit of a new one, but I kind of like this one, is can you tell us about a book that you read? doesn't have to be recent. Could have been a long time ago or a few years ago. Some book that you read in your life that had a profound impact on you. Yeah. So I'll name two. 
One is Muhammad Yunus, Banker to the Poor. Me too. Yeah, that's funny. I read it in college. It just stayed with me. And I think, interestingly, it kind of ties back to Jackie and then the Novogratz from Ackerman and then also to my early days at Amex and City and like knowing how important credit is and if done the right way, how it can really like help elevate society. And like, that's what I think we're doing at Climb. And then the other book is much more of a nuts and bolts book, but is a book called Getting Things Done by David Allen. I went to one of his seminars. He came in at Amex when I was early on there and explained his whole system of all kinds of things and how to be efficient in your day. And if something's going to take less than five minutes, you do it now instead of filing it for later. Anyway, a lot of little tips and tricks. The book is called Getting Things Done and it is part of my success having had listened to him, read the book, and then employed a number of his strategies for now, like 20 years. So That's a great answer. It's very balanced between kind of the mission and then the tactical. Yes, you need both. (laughs) You need both for sure. That's a great note. And thank you, Angela, so much for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thank you. It was great to be here. 